it is so helpful for scatterbrained people like me because as a writer, I love like writing things down, but I'll write things down on like little scraps of paper. I was at a conference the other day and I couldn't find any paper. So they had old ticket stubs. So I have about seven or eight little notes on old ticket stubs. That's not very user friendly. So what I'm going to do is take pictures of it and put it into Evernote. So then I can always go back and refer to it. So I've been really into that. And Evernote has saved my butt a couple of times when I couldn't remember things. Nice. (laughs) Evernote is great. I love Evernote. Very cool. Yeah. Yay. You're listening to The Sociable Scribes, two professional writers who work hard, play hard, and love to have fun on the job. Word stylist Nikita Rowell-Stevens and publishing consultant Kim Ely talk about the topics and questions they hear most often from their clients. Let's talk about writing, the good, the bad, and the awesome, while addressing popular questions and concerns from real writers like you. If you're a writer, someone who aspires to write, or just wants to learn more about writing and publishing and have a lot of fun along the way, welcome to the tribe. Here are your hosts, Nikita and Kim, two writers who love to socialize, the sociable scribes. All right, so Nikita, what's behind your curtain this week? Well, so I've discovered a new writing tool, and it's not really new. Uh-huh. Um, it's actually a tool that I have tried off and on for, I can't say how many years, but mm-hmm. it's been years mm-hmm. and it's called Scrivener. And mm-hmm. if you are a professional writer, more than off, more than likely, you know, this because it's the leading, um, writing software for just for all authors. It's awesome. huge. Um, and because it's so common among authors is the reason why I have given it so many chances and, <laughs> Every time I've tried to use it, I'm like, I hate this thing. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> awful. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, recently in, in the last month or so, I started evaluating software. So, okay, I'm going to look at several different softwares because I think it's good to have tools to make you better as a writer. Yeah. Um, and so, okay, I said, like, okay, I'm going to look at Scrivener again. Yeah. And I started using it again. It's like, I still hate it. And, <laughs> and too funny. so I decided, okay, uh-huh. let me give it a chance. I don't have a lot of patience. That's, yeah. part, that's part of it. Yeah. If I don't go into a software and it's intuitive and I don't, I can't figure stuff out because I don't like to follow directions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'm ready to give up on things. And so I decided, which I rarely do this. It's funny. Uh-huh. I decided to look at a tutorial uh-huh. so that it could kind of break down, show me how this thing ah, works. Awesome. Well, that made all the difference for me because I discovered how powerful the software really is. Yeah. And um, it's really amazing. I think really the, the, the power of Scrivener really is in its ability to take a huge manuscript uh-huh. and break it into bite-sized pieces. Nice. And that's helpful not only during the writing process, but when you come back around to the editing process, because then you could also edit in bite-sized pieces. Um, oh, there's places for you to store your characters. There's places for you to put information about your, 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 the place, like the origin of where everything's happening. You can store all your research. You can do sticky notes. It's a really powerful software. So I, what I'm here to tell you is if it, if it is a software that you've evaluated and you've been like me and like, Oh God, I don't like it. Right. Um, I would suggest because it's also very affordable. It's only $45. It downloads on your computer. That's so you awesome. don't have to pay a monthly fee on it. Um, I would recommend looking into it and just looking at like doing the tutorials because my experience is some of the best software in the world mm-hmm. is the is the most unuser friendly. <laughs> software. 
You are that's just, so you know, right. why, why do designers love Adobe? It's the best, but it is not easy to learn. Not user friendly. Um, yeah. And so Scrivener is no different. It's yeah. not necessarily the most intuitive. I'll be honest about that. Yeah. Um, it's not something you can pick up right away. Right. But when you do, it's amazing. Oh, so, that's awesome. That's my little plug. Very cool. So the $45, is that just a single charge? Yes. Oh, Isn't nice. That amazing? Yeah. Yeah. How would you spell that? S-C-R-I-V-E-N-E-R. Awesome. Scrivener. Okay, okay. Scrivener. Yes. Awesome. I am so checking that out. Please do. It's Very awesome. Cool. So, what about you, Kim? What you got going on? So talking about um, applications that you try and yes. then you find, you know, you're like initially like, yuck, I hate this. <laughs> you come back to it. So I've been using Evernote, and Evernote is not specifically for writing, as you know, but I initially first started using Evernote because um, they have the feature where you can use your camera and capture um, business cards, Okay. and it will fill in the business card information for you directly from that. And I started using it for that, and then I was like, yeah. And so I kind of put it aside, not that I didn't like it, but I didn't realize all the features it has. So you can take notes with it. Mm -hmm. You can um, upload files to it. It is so helpful for scatterbrained people like me because as a writer, I love like writing things down, but I'll write things down on like little scraps of paper. I was at a conference the other day <laughs> and I couldn't find any paper. So they had old ticket stubs. So I have about seven or eight little notes on old ticket stubs. That's not very user friendly. So what I'm going to do is take pictures of it and put it into Evernote. So then I can always go back and refer nice. to it. So I've been really into that. And Evernote has saved my butt a couple of times when I couldn't remember things. Nice. <laughs> Evernote is great. I love Evernote. Very cool. Yeah, it's so. a fun software. Yay. And now it's time for Gregarious Goofballs. All right, now it is time for Gregarious Goofballs. Woohoo! All right, so, Kim. What you got? I'm not very proud of this moment. <laughs> so, my car, I'm able to use an app on my phone to unlock the car. Okay. It also has a card key that you can use. It looks like a little credit card. Okay. So I've been really spoiled in just using my cell phone. So it's like I just walk up to the car, the car unlocks. So I tell you all this to say I had my card key inside my purse, inside the car. I went in and taught a workshop. And during the workshop, I took tons of pictures and videos and ran down the cell phone battery. So guess what? The cell phone battery ran down and I couldn't unlock my car. <laughs> and my, oh my charger and my key card were in, in the, the car. car. So I sat for a few minutes feeling really brilliant. <laughs> Had to walk around for a while, find someone who had an iPhone charger, and get enough charge on it so I could open my car. Oh, my God. <laughs> Embarrassing. Wow. I'm like, oh, snap. So, Lovely yeah. Use of your technology there. Yeah, exactly. Technology's great when it works. <laughs> <laughs> but we have not Kim-proofed it yet. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, what you got? So I've been picking on my husband lately. Um, this is this is more of a story of him picking on me. I could kill him. Uh oh. So um, he, I was literally just relaxing in the bedroom, uh -huh. chilling, not minding anything. And 
he snuck in the bedroom and scared the bejesus <laughs> out of me. Like, if I had to go to the bathroom, I would have peed on myself. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, he's like, have you ever been scared that bad? Like, like I didn't see he crawled yes. into the bedroom. Like he like oh. I couldn't see him. And so I ha- I didn't hear him come up the stairs. Usually I hear him come up the stairs. And it was just like, And I don't know why men do this, but whenever they do something bad or stupid, they don't want to come and like love on you like, Oh, I love you, baby. Get off of me. I can't stand you right now. I was like, Oh my Oh my god. I hated him for like ten minutes. So, well, oh my gosh, that's, that's my, too funny. That's my moment for the week. I got scared out of my pants. There we go. Revenge of the husband. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta come up with something oh. to get him back. So. We'll work on that. All right, I am super excited to introduce our next guest. She's a dear friend. And so allow me to do the honors. So Ms. Chris Vreeland is, oops, wait a minute. I lost my place. Lost my place. There we are. Okay. Chris has been around books her entire life. Some of her earliest memories are of her dad reading Winnie the Pooh to her and her siblings. I love that. Her first non-babysitting job at 16 was working in her local public library as an aide. She's also worked at a college library and an elementary school library and has performed as a storyteller at libraries throughout Los Angeles County. She worked for two bookstores in California. She worked at Vroman's, where she was the children's department manager and book buyer, and at Once Upon a Time, and get this, y'all, it's the oldest children's bookstore in the country, and there she was a book buyer and community outreach coordinator. She retired almost two years ago and moved to Virginia, and we're so glad you're here in Virginia, yes. to be closer to her kids. She also works as an on an on-call basis as a bookseller at an awesome local bookstore, independent bookstore here, uh, Fountain Books, and she also does some volunteer work for an awesome nonprofit called Read to Them. So welcome, Chris Vreeland. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. We're yes. excited to have you. <laughs> this thank is you, great. Thank you. Thank you. So we're, we're really excited to have a conversation with you today about children's books because it's, it's, it's an um, area that we don't know much about exactly. ourselves. Exactly. Yeah, we're um, learning. So we're excited to learn a lot more from you. I think a burning question to start with that I think a lot of people would love to know is what makes a really good children's book? How do you decipher what's a good book and a bad book? Ooh, that's Mm. a a tough question because one person may love the book. The next person is going to go, nah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. For any book. Right. Um, I think with children's books, a little bit, it's going to, what makes it a stronger book mm-hmm. depends on whether it's a fiction or a nonfiction book. Mm, okay. You're going to approach doing each one differently. What age you're targeting, whether you're targeting board books mm-hmm. or you're targeting early chapter books, middle grade readers, YA, mm. there are different elements in each one. I think one of the most important things to start with is as an author to go back to what you would have wanted to read at the age that you want to target. Mm, okay, that's good. Um, and 
probably it wasn't there. And now you have the chance to put it there for someone else. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> but I mean, for me, what I love are strong characters. Mm. Okay. Um, I love good world building, whether it's a realistic world or a fantasy world mm. or something totally different. Okay. Um, I tend more towards the fiction side than the nonfiction side in my interests. Mm-hmm. But there's a huge audience of kids that are nonfiction readers, and they don't always get credit for that. So I think mm. good nonfiction writing is very important. I would love to hear you expand a little bit on that, because in my mind, it makes total sense now that you mentioned it, when you say fiction and nonfiction in children's books. My mind immediately just went to fiction when I think children's book because you think of the story. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about what nonfiction fiction books look like in the children's book arena? Because yeah. it's, it's kind of an, it sounds kind of new to us. Maybe yeah. it's not. We just haven't thought of it that way. Well, I think that nonfiction right now in children's books is getting very exciting. Okay. When I was a kid, nonfiction meant either biographies, which were fine because that that almost feels like fiction, that right. story. Yeah. <laughs> or it was like textbooks. Right. Which is oh, not yeah. exactly. And, <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> it was like lists of facts or it was mm. technical. And nonfiction now has incorporated more of the story elements into it. Mm-hmm. But it also reaches out to those kids who aren't necessarily looking for some kind of a story. Hmm. And hmm. there's a lot of great historical nonfiction. Okay. But there's also fascinating science that's <clears throat> out there and mathematics that are out there. And you've got kids who want that, hmm. who aren't, you know, they don't care about a dragon coming out of the mountains. Right. They yeah. want to know how this thing was made ah, or okay. what function that has. And there's more and more that's filling that niche. Yeah. There's also some great books out there that are kind of crossover. Mm. They might be a fiction story, but they incorporate real science information. Gotcha. Interesting. Or it might be a nonfiction book, but it brings in more of a storytelling element to it. Ah. Gotcha. And I love those because that will incorporate more readers both ways yeah the kids who want the story can still get some factual information you'll see that in things like the magic tree house mm, okay mm-hmm. or for older readers there was an author a few years ago michael reisman who wrote a series that was a fantasy series but it was a fantasy series about science and the science ah. in it was actual hmm. oh that's cool that was you know that's really cool so you're seeing maybe some more blending of things. Yeah. Um, but you also have fantastic nonfiction writers out there who mm-hmm. are, are making things very approachable, whether it's in picture books or chapter books, all yeah. across the gamut. Awesome. Can I ask one other quick question? Of course. Before we move on, because this is, this is very fascinating to me. Yeah. Because it's a new world. Yeah. And so, um, so <coughs> excuse me, what age range would you say that you're, because it, there's so many different categories of mm-hmm. writing. So it's because I guess the next level from children's would be the young adult. 
which for me when I was growing up was like Sweet and Valley High. Oh yeah. Oh my God, I was such a Sweet and Valley High. I, I, Sweet and Valley Twins when I was in middle school. Sweet and Valley High. I, I, I still have a lot of those. Do books. you my, really? I think I'm a little bit of a hoarder um, because my my husband's like, why do you have these numbers? I think part of me maybe is holding on to them because maybe I want to pass them on to my kids uh, or something. Um, but my question is, where is that dividing line in terms of where where you're moving from a children's book to maybe, because young adult is really, would young adult be classified as a different category from children's? Well, or? as a children's book buyer, which is, mm-hmm. I bought everything from wordless picture book, board books, okay. through YA, for the okay. store. Okay. Um, at Once Upon a Time and at Romans, mm-hmm. our children's department incorporated everything for anybody who technically was 18, 20 or younger. Mm. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. okay. That's um, good to know. But within that, you'll have a lot of breakdowns. Sure. And we try and divide it out, but they're fuzzy breakdowns um, <laughs> because I had one young girl who used to come into the bookstore who was, she was about five or six, mm-hmm. but had incredible reading skills. Mm. And she she could have read young adult, but yeah. she wasn't ready for that content. Right. Absolutely. And so, but she also didn't want to be reading yeah. the early chapter books and things as much. I mean, she wanted sure. more, more challenge in her reading. So we would try to find the books that maybe were written a little bit older, but didn't necessarily have content that would be inappropriate for her age. Um, you have other kids who come in who <clears throat> might be sixth, seventh, eighth grade, but they're still struggling with their reading. Yeah. And they don't want to go back and read the picture books yeah. and the early chapter books. They want to read content that's appropriate for them. Yeah. So there's so many different And levels. so there's so many kinds of things that go over. You'll also, with young adult, you may get 11, 12 year olds reading some young adult. Mm-hmm. You have lots of adults that read mm-hmm. young adults. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have adults that love middle grade. You have, mm. you have six and seven and eight year olds who can read at that level. Mm-hmm. You have older kids who enjoy the younger stuff. I mean... It's like the so, younger kids read Harry Potter, which are like, you know, that's a pretty... That's so a lot of reading. Intense, yeah. yeah. But a lot and of the, young kids read it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's not only long. Right, <laughs> right. But there, the as content. the series progresses, the content gets very dark and very intense. Yes, and, it does. And it becomes very important for the people who are providing books for those kids Mm -hmm. to know what they're providing. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, that some kids could handle the content. Mm -hmm. We also had teenagers who couldn't. Right. Because it's an individual thing. It isn't just, Oh, if you hit 15 years old, you can handle these things. Right. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, I think it's very important as a bookseller, as a buyer, to know for children, to know the individual child you're working with. Yes. And to know your books really well, so that you know whether there's going to be something in there that's appropriate or inappropriate for that child. Yeah. If that makes sense. That yes. makes total sense. <laughs> that makes total sense. Well, I think sense. this is really helpful for for people that are listening because it give 
what you're what you're sharing with us is showing showing the depth and in, in the context of, of children's books mm-hmm. because so many people may think like we thought when I think children's book I just my mind immediately just thinks the small child but it serves so many different areas so it could be that you you might have thought that you couldn't write a children's book but maybe right. you can right or maybe right. it is an area that would be a fit for your skill so absolutely and one thing I was gonna um, mention to you and I'm sure you've probably heard this a lot is I'll have people go oh I could write a children's book because they're short and there's not many words right. can you dispel that myth <laughs> that's a really good one yeah. that's really good try and put your 500 page novel into haiku Ooh, that's <laughs> good. Oh, I love that's that. Good. That's awesome. That's really good. <laughs> that's kind of, I mean, you've got to get everything in there. Mm-hmm. Yes, you may have, you may or may not have a fewer number of words if you look at things like Harry Potter. Well, that's right. true. That's right. true. You know, um, but, or, but if you go down to picture books or board books where you're really looking a lot of times at a minimal number of words Mm-hmm. compared to a novel you've got to pick the exact right word mm-hmm. and you've got to have the illustrations that enhance what the words don't literally say yeah so right. that, that you're you're building a whole story visually as well as with language and i think the <clears throat> younger you go and the fewer words the less you can treat any of your words as being precious, mm. you have to be able to cut and then cut again and then cut one more time at least Wow! to get it down to be as concise, but still gentle or literary or conveying right, the story right. that I think it's a much harder job. And I think the younger you go, I think mm-hmm. it is too. the harder it can be. Yeah. Um, that being said, it's kind of like teaching school. There are people who are excellent at first grade who wouldn't be great mm. at teaching seniors or college. Oh, that's a good And there point. are people who can handle teenagers <laughs> who wouldn't know what to do with a third grader. Yes. You know, and it's point. a lot the same with writing mm-hmm. that, that you're going to have your audience that you know how to reach out to, that right. you know how to appeal to, and that works for who you are. Right. And, I mean, I, I don't think, Shakespeare would have necessarily created a great board book, <laughs> but I don't know if Sandra Boynton could necessarily have created a Shakespearean Shakespeare. play. It does not take away from either of their sets of skills. Very <laughs> yeah. true. Very true. You know, it, yeah. It's... Oh, that's awesome. I love it. Although I would say don't expect to write a children's book and pay next month's rent with it. That's good oh. to know. As well. <laughs> good to know. So. I mean, you know, it doesn't work that quickly. It and right. just because you think you're doing something simpler, you're not gonna turn it around. I mean, people spend two, three or more years writing one book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that is regardless of your audience. So what do you think a children's book authors should know before they begin? I think one thing you just said is know that it could take two or three years. Or um, more. Or more, exactly. Just to do their part. <laughs> just to do their part. So what are some other things that um, people should be aware of before they jump jump into children's books? <laughs> I think one of the most important things is to go and read. Mm. And whatever area you're planning on writing, <clears throat> writing for, excuse me, mm-hmm. read. Read everything out there. Read what's good. Read what's bad. Read right. what... But 
I think one of the mistakes that sometimes people make is they think I've got this great idea and I'm just going to write the book and they haven't read anything else Ah, that's there. Mm -hmm. And you need to have a good sense of what's out there. Um, Talk to librarians, talk to teachers, talk to to booksellers. Mm -hmm. Find out what people are interested in, what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, But I think reading is the... I think reading is something you have to do as an author. Um, I also think writing, just writing and writing and writing, regardless of whether that's going to be your final project, Mm. write every day and write constantly. I think are two things that are really important. Yeah, absolutely. And then have a support system. Ah. Whether it's a writing group Mm -hmm. or several writing groups, Mm -hmm. friends that you trust, depending on the age you're working with, it might be working with teachers. and But people that you trust to give you honest feedback on what you're doing. Oh, I think that's so important. That's very and of course, having yeah. an editor is crucial. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, everybody needs to have editors. <coughs> oh, Because definitely. you need another set of eyes. But it always has to be somebody you trust, somebody you feel supported by. Yes. And not somebody who's just going to say, yes, you're great. Yeah. Yes. So I sort of shy away from spouses and children who rely on you for food. <laughs> rely on because you for they food. have a different motivation for you being great. Absolutely. <laughs> occasionally, those are your good audiences. That's true. That's without, true. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Oh, you don't want your your that. book is great. May I eat now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's too funny. So let's see. Um, so in your job as uh, outreach, um, you uh, would sometimes pick up authors from the airport. You would sometimes coordinate events. Is that correct? Yes. What, describe what you would you would be doing normally. Well, <laughs> normally. normally. Every day was its kind of <laughs> own unique day. It depended on. But, yeah. but our goal was, the overarching goal was to connect kids with literature. Awesome. And in the context of that, as often as possible, also to get them to realize that authors and illustrators are real life people Mm -hmm. and that literature is a living thing. Yeah. And we would work with the publishers. We would work with local authors um, to arrange school visits. Oh, cool. We would work with libraries. Uh Uh-huh. so a lot of it was interfacing with the schools, interfacing mm-hmm. with the publisher, interfacing with the author, and providing what was needed in each situation. Sometimes I would be the driver. Sometimes they would have a driver. Ah. Some We always, when I was working at Once Upon a Time, one of our goals was always to have a staff member on site ah. of the events in case anything came up, but to sell books, right. but also in case anything yeah. needed to be resolved. Oh, okay. Uh, which can always come up when you work with human beings. It, yeah, yes. On any side, you know, <laughs> um, the school you walk into in the office didn't know you were coming, or yeah, the, yes, the author whose flight got delayed three hours, or yes. you know, yes, those kinds. Just of to be able to do what you could in any situation. Yeah. But um, and what I often would try to do is go to the schools in advance of the authors to prep the kids for the event. So that they knew what they were getting. Oh, and okay. they, they knew what books were coming. They knew mm-hmm. a little bit about the story. They had more of a context than perhaps somebody showing up that they may or may not have heard of. Right. Because 
kids don't necessarily, I mean, they'll know a few name authors, mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily know a lot of what's out there available to them. Yeah. And so it was a way to introduce the kids to the author before the author got there. Oh, that's awesome. And that's cool. I found that often made the events a lot more successful for everybody. Oh, good. Good, good. Can I ask about that? It's up to you. About the authors? Yeah. Any, are there any interesting stories you have from some of the authors that you met? Just, just, just tell us one. <laughs> I know you've met one, many. exactly. I know you've met many. But... Yeah, I mean, I've met a lot of, I've met a lot of authors. I have some who are friends, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's so cool. I, the first, well, oh yeah, the first author, she, uh, she's an author and an illustrator. Okay. That I met before I was actually working in, or at a time I wasn't working with children's books before I was working at the bookstore. Okay. Um, I met Marla Frazee, awesome. who is an amazing illustrator and author. Mm -hmm. And I met her because we attended the same church mm -hmm. and our kids were in choir there together. <laughs> and Small world. <laughs> it, and I had not known at the time that that was what she did for a living. Ah. You know, she was just, we were just moms. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And our older kids were in rehearsal. My younger daughter was running up and down the stairs, <laughs> and Marla was working on one of her books called Hush Little Baby, mm. and she was looking for a little girl to be the older sister in the book, and my daughter was about five at the time, and Marla went up to her and said, I, I illustrate children's books, and would you be willing to model for me? Oh my goodness. And my daughter looked at her and said, of course, I do that all the time. <laughs> modeled for an educational oh, book okay. where my younger sister was an editor but to her it was like all the time all the time, all the time. there we go oh, that's and she did that end up adorable. being the model for the book. Oh, that is so neat that's, a, that's hilarious very cool so um oh i wanted to ask um about um uh, read to them. So um, I understand that's a, a subject that's near and dear to our hearts because um, we belong to a networking group in Richmond Synapse that has a hub there. But tell us a little bit about the, the Read to Them program and, and what you do with them. Well, Read to Them is a program that goes in, and you can correct me if I get any of this no wrong. No worries. Program. <laughs> but they go into cities around the country and create a one book one city program within the entire city. So all the schools are reading the same book. That's so all cool. the kids in K through five or six, depending on the elementary range there, uh -huh. are reading the same book. They're reading them with their parents at night. Mm -hmm. They're reading them with their teachers during the day. Mm -hmm. The mayor reads the book. The, <laughs> I mean, the whole city comes together around literature <clears throat> and around this story. Uh -huh. And I believe they do about two books per semester yeah within the same district and they've recently got they're based in richmond but they have recently been able to connect 
with the Richmond School District. And so this they're coming up on their second book, I believe. They in are. Richmond. I think and it's so exciting, especially exciting. since they're based in Richmond, but they were everywhere else except Richmond. Yes. And they've been, I think, doing this for, I want to say maybe 20 years. That I don't know. Okay, I don't I'll, know. I'll have to verify that. Yeah. <laughs> but I know it's been a number of years, but it's very exciting that they're here in, in Richmond. Yeah, definitely. So. And it's an exciting program because it not only introduces the kids to this particular book, but it, it engages activities and different things that the teachers can use in the classroom, that the kids can use outside the classroom, that the families can incorporate to make literature very a very active living thing and to carry into other aspects of the kid's life. Um, and it reaches out to kids who may not own a book. Right. And every kid in this program owns this book. Everybody right. gets a copy, which is amazing. I love that. And, love it. <laughs> and it's a great way to introduce the kids to a whole new world. I love it. It's fantastic. Like the book uh, this past uh, fall was... Um, Humphrey, the hamster. Yes. Um, I think it was Humphrey. There's a number in the series, so I'm not going to get the name right. Humphrey. Hmm. Humphrey does something at school, but Humphrey is the class pet, and Humphrey tells everything. Oh, the school, the world according to Humphrey. Whew, okay. Didn't want to get in trouble <laughs> with that one. But Humphrey um, describes the the children in the classroom, and it's neat because, like you were saying, all the school gets involved. They'll even do. Um, certain activities they'll do math problems revolved around stories that humphrey told in pe they'll do hamster races or, oh, you know cute. the kids are the hamsters I love it stuff like that it's pretty darn neat and you're doing a workshop is that correct um yeah i'm doing a workshop with them at a school in south richmond Yay. in later in february i don't have the date oh that's okay that's okay but um to work with the school and the parents and the teachers to get them more excited about literacy and Yay. storytelling and learning and everything. So I'll be doing some storytelling and bookmaking with the kids. Oh, bookmaking. Yeah. Oh, I want to come. That sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> they may not let me in, huh? I don't know. I'm sure we can figure out a way to get you in there if you want. I'm volunteering. Don't mind me making a book over here. <laughs> too funny oh That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, so um let's see did you want to ask it so um let's talk about like so you've worked in um s several independent bookstores mm -hmm. so can you tell us a little bit about the advantage of shopping there versus like your big you know everybody knows of course burns and noble the big names are burns and noble and amazon when you think of big box or virtual box right you want to look right. at it although yeah. amazon is more they have storefronts now too do they really yes they do i did not know that oh i didn't know that either is that recent thing it's been they have storefronts. three or four years that's crazy i thought the whole purpose for amazon was not to have a storefront and now they are anyway <laughs> <laughs> um, i mean i think I love independent bookstores. I love independent businesses. Yeah. Sure. They're, yeah. they're usually family businesses. They're in your community. Mm -hmm. They're your neighbors. Yeah. Um, independent bookstores could be the first place that hires your kid. Oh. Yeah. You know, yeah. for their summer job. Given yeah. that they have openings. I mean, I'm not saying all the... <laughs> right. But I mean... <laughs> right, right, it's, right. It's... And 
independent bookstores give back tremendously to the community mm. in different ways, mm -hmm. whether they're providing events mm -hmm. um, in the store or off-site. Um, they work with community organizations. They often give back to community organizations. Awesome. Um, they support local authors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, they're one of your best sources for matching your reader with your book. Oh, that's so cool. And it's not an algorithm. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a human being who sits down, looks you in the eye and says, what do you love? Yeah. And here, let me give you more of what you love. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And they read the books and they're excited about what they do. Yeah. Um, and they work incredibly hard. Yeah. I mean, whether it's everybody in the bookstore works incredibly hard, whether you have an owner and they're the only employee. Right. Or you have. 20 or 50 or 150 employees. Everybody is working really hard to make it the best experience possible yeah. for everyone who walks in the door. Yeah. Um, and each one has its own personality. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're not going to go into this independent bookstore and mistake it for that independent bookstore because each one is the character of the people who own it, the character that of the, so the people who work there. Yeah. And they they'll have specialties i mean you'll have a bookstore you might have a bookstore that focuses just on travel or mm -hmm. just on children mm -hmm. or you can set up an independent bookstore that focuses on dogs if you want to yeah. <laughs> or cookbooks <laughs> right then you have general bookstores that will have a little bit of everything yeah or you'll have a mysterious a mystery bookstore yeah um there's one in la that only does bodice rippers i mean you know oh! it's <laughs> Oh, that's too funny. It, you know, <laughs> it's it's lovely because you can get your own personality in there. Yeah, and you can find that. what works for you. That's awesome. Both as a consumer and as a, a bookstore. Yeah. You know, that's you can create your own world. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. Um, I mean, I'm a proponent of mm -hmm. brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. And sometimes... The only bookstore you have access to is like a Barnes and Noble. True. And there's some very good booksellers at Barnes and Noble. And again, it, it is a chain. But again, you're walking in and you're talking to individual people. True. Mm -hmm. um, so I have more of a support of anything that's brick and mortar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the yeah. money stays in the neighborhood more than yeah. with an independent bookstore than it does if you have an online presence that is international <laughs> and all the money goes back to headquarters yeah. wherever, you know, yeah. um, it doesn't do a thing for your local schools. It doesn't do a thing for your local streets. It mm. doesn't do a thing for your local nonprofits that you're trying to support. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we've talked about this before. Yeah. Never walk into a bookstore, an independent bookstore and mention the A word. <gasps> <laughs> Not if you want to be. Tell, tell everybody what the A word is. Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that's not good, it's, right? That's I mean, bad form, correct? Yes. Okay. There, I mean, you know, if you were an author mm -hmm. and you'd written this great mystery and I said, oh, I don't need to read that. I can go to James Patterson. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
you know, mm. you're not going to feel a lot of love. No, <laughs> definitely not. And, and, you know, yes, I can go to James Patterson, but it doesn't mean I can't read your book. <laughs> right. But, right, you know, right, right. It, it's, and <laughs> Amazon has put independent bookstores, some independent bookstores out of business. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so they're not the most loved <laughs> organization <laughs> among independent businesses. <laughs> I'm laughing because you're saying that so tactfully. <laughs> oh, yeah, well done. <coughs> but, but, yeah, it's never <laughs> a good idea for anyone to, to march in and say, well, can I get this on Amazon? Right. Or right. I can get this on Amazon. Um, we actually had uh, Kelly had who owns Fountain uh-huh. had a tweet that went viral uh-huh. around Christmas. Oh, what was it about customers who come in and order on Amazon in front of her? Oh, that's horrible! And oh my god, it went viral. Wow, I mean, she got contacted from England. <gasps> she got contacted by different newspapers. <laughs> there was an article on the local news about it. Oh my goodness. Um, so it's a thing. It's a yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it's, I mean, I really believe strongly we need to support our communities and whether that community is a bookstore or yeah. a local drugstore or a local tire store or, you know, yeah. we need to support everyone who's around us. Um, and it becomes awesome. reciprocal. Yeah. You know, it's, I think we've gotten, we so often build communities electronically. Right. That we forget that we're not electronic. Right. <laughs> we're real people. Right. We need to be able to t- reach out and touch each other and, yeah. and support each other and, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and, you know, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for independent bookstores just because I love them. I, I'm one of the people who it's like, oh, it's you again, Kim. Hi. <laughs> but um, but I had never thought about that whole local community connection. Yeah. I, I guess I hadn't really, you know, put it together. So I'm so glad that you you shared oh, that with us. Absolutely. That's very awesome. So I think we're going to wrap up. Um, yeah. I wanted to put you on the spot. Uh-oh. <gasps> <The hot seat laughs> with a question I didn't share with you. So what would you say, and this may be like a terrible question to ask, but what would you say is your absolute favorite children's book of all time? Oh, <laughs> well, that's a good one. I have to be honest, my absolute favorite is Winnie the Pooh because oh. it's the first one I remember my dad reading. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. And then I read it to all my younger siblings. Oh. And given time, I can even recite the beginning of the book for you. Oh, dang. We're not going to do that. <laughs> Another time. Next Another time. time. For sure. But beyond beyond that, there are so many wonderful books. Yeah. That, you know, it it depends it depends to some degree on my mood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It depends on whether I want to read a younger book or a picture book. I mean, Dr. Seuss is still amazing. Oh, <laughs> Sandra yes. Boynton is wonderful. Yes. Marla Frazee's books just really connect with you. Yeah. Then, I was Beverly Cleary as a child. Do you remember oh, Beverly, Beverly Cleary? Beverly Cleary yes. is wonderful. Loved her. Ramona. Yes, Ramona. Ramona does everything. Oh, Ramona's <laughs> awesome. And there are her. still great books coming out. And, you know, I mean, I recently read 
an advanced copy of a book that's coming out in March oh, that cool. I loved. Awesome. It's called The Lovely War. Oh. It's by Julie Berry. Interesting. And it's a love story based around a world war, but mostly narrated by uh, the Greek gods. Oh, who have seen oh have gosh. an investment in this love story and have an investment ah. in the war and in their relationship. Cool. It's beautifully crafted. Wow. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Cool. So I would watch for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 Everybody, we're going to keep our eyes peeled. I'm yes. going to head to so. Fountain and get a copy. <laughs> yes. Well, and often my favorite book is whatever I'm reading at that moment. <laughs> you are so right. I think we can totally. Identify. Yes, I can definitely relate to that. Awesome. Oh, my goodness. Chris, thank you thank so you. much oh, thank for you guys for us. Us. Yes. This was so much fun. Learned so much. Yes. So wasn't Chris Vreeland fantastic? She was amazing. She gave us so much perspective on the independent book process and buying books and going through that entire like process. Absolutely. And how cool that she has all the children's book buyer experience also. Yes. And that she was able to shed light uh, for us on that. But I find that so cool because as a writer, I love bookstores. Yes, I do too. And I love children's books. They're yes. so fun. I, I love all the illustrations, everything. So it's so interesting. So it was really fun asking her about, you know, what makes a good children's book versus a bad children's book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And also just understanding that um, and, and until we until we had this conversation with her, the spectrum that children's books run through because yeah. you know you have the small children you have the adolescents and then you have teens that's still all children yeah um and so when you're looking at writing a children's book and thinking about that that what that expectation of that audience and what makes it good or not yeah. is going to change um which is, you know i think that's pretty cool oh it is very cool and um and, uh, you know, having her break down kind of what children's book authors should know before they begin was really helpful. Absolutely. And um, and also, um, you know, why shopping at an independent bookstore is really helpful. I love how she described having how they have that um, relationships form. Yes. And those kind of bonds and the fact that I never thought about the fact that your independent bookstore person would be like, Hey, Nikita, I've right. met you before. Right. I have so-and-so I can recommend for you. I guess it's kind of like cheers when you yeah. walk in the walk in the bar. It's like norm, <laughs> <laughs> which is awesome. I mean, it, it's really, I mean, your independent bookstores are really, um, they're a piece of the community, you know? Yes. And, um, and, I just, I just love that um, and hope that still remains a big piece of our um, book culture moving forward. Most um, definitely. And then she also shared with us what is taboo yes. um, among uh, independent bookstores. And yes. What does that count? The A word, Which, Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> Let's call it the scarlet letter A. Exactly. <laughs> And it, it, it's, it's strange. You wouldn't think that people would go into an independent bookstore and actually ask questions about Amazon, but she said people do do that. People do that. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, so that's very tacky. So I've learned a lesson. Don't <laughs> yes, do it. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. But she was just delightful. And I love how much she loves um, 
what she does. Oh I mean, you can tell it's a huge it passion. So, so yeah. Thank so, you, Chris. We yes. enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you so much. And thank you all so much for joining us this week. It was such a pleasure. Yes. <laughs> Have a great week. You too. Thanks for listening to the Sociable Scribes podcast. Don't forget to tune in next week to learn more amazing tips on writing and publishing. And if you like this podcast, please leave us a review and share it with a friend.